Welcome to Raining Words with Shelby. I am your host, Shelby Lawson, and our main objective is to motivate, inspire, and encourage. Welcome to Raining Words with Shelby. I am your host, Shelby Lawson. I am so excited to introduce to some, and many may already know her, but the beautiful Simone. I never say her last name. Welcome, 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 Simone. How are you? I am amazing. It's, um, yeah, thank you for the warm welcome. I am in a space of ah, grace. Having to call upon grace today. Um, just found out some very bad news about, well, my loved one passed away and um, it's a challenging day. Oh my goodness. I am going to, we're going to circle around and come back to that and figure out how one who's educated in the field of mental health, how it becomes personal and how you deal with that on a, it's been frequent because um, um, just a few months ago, I remember our conversation and you lost someone very, very dear to you. And I, I, it, the thought came to me, even though you're professionally trained to uh, deal with trauma and uh, life circumstances, but when it hits home, what is it that um, helps you get through? Other than, um, I have to tell the audience that both Simone and I are women of faith, and that's how we met. Um, she, We met at uh, Life Church, and it was an instant connection. Yes. And I don't even, I don't waste time trying to understand or define how it happened. I just know it happened, and you were instantly like a sister to me and I'm very grateful for that but we'll fast forward we'll come back to everything else but how does one who's trained a trained nurse and now a trained uh, behavioral therapist when it hits home as you shared with us how does one um I guess it's like a transference of knowledge how do you apply that to your life well uh, that's a really good question and it's one that we get asked often and i think anytime you're in a field that has to do with the healing of bodies minds or spirits it is um it is a thought process that we are going to be able to heal ourselves and we're kind of um without the struggles of those heart and emotional challenges that come up, you know, those wounds that come up in everyone's life. For me, I think one of the things that I've had to really do lately and for so many reasons, I've had to like literally self-talk and say, Simone, you're worth the break. You're going to break under this pressure and you have to take time out for yourself because if I don't take care of me, I don't have enough filled in my love cup to pour from you flowing to anybody else. Right. So just taking time out for myself and it could be a number of things actually. Yeah. Not any one set um, things. Just sometimes it's just sleeping in until 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes it's also saying I can't take another call today. I can't take a case. Sometimes it's saying, you know, um, I have to set this boundary uh, for how many personal phone calls I take after work. Right. Things of that nature. Just making those adjustments that are 
um, they cost you nothing to make them and you gain everything from it in terms of preserving or, or, or kind of conserving your energy, so to say. Yes, yes. Well, for my audience, I want the audience to know that you are a Navy vet. You are of Guyanese heritage. You were previously, in your previous life, nurse in the profession of nursing. And I would love for you to share how you uh, pivoted from nursing to therapists because in it they're pretty close because when you're in nursing you are also counseling patients and you're being their um, ears and their eyes and so just share with the audience how you pivoted from nursing to therapists and what was your reasoning or is it a personal journey? Um, most times that I've, I've discovered in my um, years of having relationships with different people, therapists usually go to where they have had personal experiences. Is that true? Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> But, but you know, the, the, the caveat there is that it's not necessarily um, a consciously selective process. <laughs> and I say that because I wanted to be a, a journalist. I wanted to write about food. Oh. And, and, and that came from a whole other section of my life where, you know, when you're a child growing up in the tenements in South America, you oftentimes are um, malnourished, not as a broad spectrum for every child in South America, but in the circumstances that were particular to my life. So I think just thinking about food all the time and how you're hungry, you know, if you think about it, Mm -hmm. I feel better. Um, I've always wanted to, you know, write about nutrition and write about it from the science of how good a hot plate of food makes you feel when everything else around you is falling apart. Um, having said that, my journey towards becoming a clinician did not originate with me. So I started back in my 20s studying psychology at one of the local community colleges. And of course, with all the other things that we could talk about some other time that kind of hindered my process, I um, dropped out of school mm-hmm. and um, didn't go back. Mom, I'm not going back. When I finally went back, I went back for what everyone else said was popular. And so I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I'll do business. Well, that didn't work out. So nursing came about because someone challenged me, someone much like myself, challenged me asking, you know, if you could be anything in this world, who would you be? And I said a nurse without even thinking. And um, and that, you know, led me to doing just what you said, you know, spending time in a supervisory position with my with my patients at the time. I found that I spent more time talking to them about the social, you know, the psychosocial part of their stay and how that was going to continue once they were discharged. Mm-hmm. I felt more comfort talking to a client, giving them like an extra little shoulder rub or a foot rub and some kind of aromatherapy than to shove a bunch of medication down their throat. Yeah, That medication does not have a suited purpose. It's just... I felt the touchy-feely part of it, as people would call it, just taking time to look at people deeper in their eyes and hear their stories Mm -hmm. made all the difference. It was Mm -hmm. better than any melatonin Mm -hmm. when I was a nurse, right? Mm -hmm. So that um, being a nurse in, in, you know, the year Obama was inaugurated, it was the year that I decided that anything was truly, truly possible, no matter how old you are, Mm -hmm. when I 
saw him and Michelle dance to At Last mm-hmm. while Beyonce song. So I went back to school to finish the psych degree I started in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, um, I met some amazing people when I only had faith and hard work to go on mm-hmm. and got directed. And so I was offered opportunities for certain scholarships. And those scholarships, the Francis Hesselbein's Women um leadership scholarship that I got through the United Way of the Lehigh Valley, that sparked in me a commitment to help to heal people beyond the borders or beyond the limitations, so to say, of nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the process, while I attended Muhlenberg Community College, Muhlenberg College, I was actually directed by one of my um, my department chair of the psychology department, Dr. Shudo, mm-hmm. an amazing, 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 amazing instructor, mm-hmm. Professor Dr. Shudo over at um, Muhlenberg College told me I should try nursing school. Um, I'm sorry, not nursing school, graduate school, and that he would write my recommendation. And I thought, well, he knows I'm an adult, so he's not playing with me. Right. So when he said that, I did it on a dare. I, I could tell you exactly. I'm like, well, I'm going to go fill out these applications and think that was going to go any further. Mm-hmm. Fast forward years later, you know, went through the process and found that it was the most rewarding passage that I took. The, it's, everything else that I did was about my passion, mm-hmm. going to school to become a clinician, to be able to help people in the areas of mental health needs. That was my purpose. Okay. And so when my passion and my purpose aligned, I had no choice but to answer the call. And just in the nick of time, because a year before COVID hit, I opened my practice and I was so glad I did. I'm really curious to share with the audience at what age, because most people know that I am a certain age, at what age did your passion and your purpose collide? I know how old you are, but please share with um, our audience at what um, point that happened. Well, in, in the broad spectrum, if we take uh, speaking generally, um, I was definitely in, in my 40s when it came to, to bear, when I started, it started mm-hmm. to peak. Mm-hmm. But my passion and my purpose aligned um, fully. I became fully cognizant of that the day I followed a, a something on the inside that asked me or required that I probe a little bit further with a, with a client. And when I, at the end of that probing, going that extra step, mm-hmm. um, this is in my early years in private practice, going that extra step, that woman is now a very, very productive member of society. She went from being on heroin to now um, being able to have a, a mate and, and living a successful life. That day changed everything for me because that was the day she was going to take her own life. And I think in that wow. moment, my the, my ability to be sensitive in that way mm-hmm. doesn't mean I'm that across the board, right? Because I'm only people. Right. But right. my ability to be that was something I cherished. And, and mm-hmm. I was really, really humbled by that because had I not probed more she would have been dead according to what was in motion so that was when i realized fully and i was so humbled by it that i i think i cried for about four hours after she left my office and that's when i knew that um i was i was created for this but i'm also part of something much bigger oh my goodness 
You know, so, you're going to make yeah. me cry because for the audience, I met this lady. She's, um, mm-hmm. I'm a, I have a few years on her, but I met her. I don't know. At that point, when I met you at Life Church, were you, how long had you been in the States? Um, it was so, we got to go back a long way because a I, way. I had just moved to Lehigh Valley. So I think it has, it has to be at least. 22 years ago yes yes um <laughs> so 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 just to back up to the other question just i forgot i didn't answer i'm so sorry i got tangential there that's okay i was in my 50s when okay. it came to bear i went back to school in my 30s mm-hmm. and you know and again in my 40s but in my 50s is when my passion and my purpose mm-hmm. aligned mm-hmm. bringing that life satisfaction that i needed um at life church when we met i was 39 i think oh my gosh i thought you were so much younger i thought i was at least 10 years ahead of you no 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 because that would be 62 right to my 16 to my audience she is aging beautifully and i am i am 59 i'm closing in on 60 so i'm close to there however when i met her she had the energy of a very young person and i thought that she was a very she had children at that point and i thought she was maybe in her 20s and i said oh my gosh and i just connected with her i felt her spirit and i guess on the lines of your children your daughters and we don't mention names here because our daughters don't like you know how they are they like don't you mention me but but my question is have you had conversations with your daughters and do they fully understand at this point the power of the dare because of quite a few people dared you along the way and that inspired you to go further do they fully understand who simone is at this point yet well that's a great question and it's ironic that it's come up more um more so lately than before mm-hmm. um i think my children are every day learning who simone is becoming mm-hmm. because um this Simone does not even understand fully, right? And I think that work will be completed maybe the day I die that I'm going to fully understand. But I'm re- I'm learning who I am. And it's not just through good times. It's very, very, very challenging times. And they are learning who I am as well. So mm-hmm. I think getting to know their mother is a continuum. Um, I have heard them voice and I do see them um, respond in kind to having really strong work ethics, whether it's in a creative way or, you know, an academic manner mm-hmm. um, they are committed to, they, they do have good work ethics and that's because from the time that they were young they were sitting in biology labs with me mm-hmm. and in lectures nursing lectures when you know psych lectures they've had, even had professors give them um assignments because they've always been a little bit um you know smarter than i was at their age right so mm-hmm. they would get assignments at times and uh, they learned those ethics. Now, what that whole process of, of teaching your children these, these um, you know, pearls and things like that with their particular family dynamics, it really does make for sometimes you have to stop and go, um, wait, 
who am I raising? This kid is going to like outblaze me, you know, Absolutely. And it is mm-hmm. my very hope. It is my very hope that my children are in fact smarter than me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very funny when you say that, because I remember early on, my daughter was really blazing past. And when you have daughters, they truly, as a woman, they truly challenge you to be your best because they are watching your every move and in your the back of your mind you're thinking I want to create this wonderful young woman but they're watching they're watching Mm -hmm. and I guess my main question another question to you as well was what how how does parenting daughters and your training as a therapist, how does that collide? Because I'm sure you've heard them say, mom, you're analyzing me or mom, I need mom, not the therapist. So how do you separate the two and be the best mom that you can be to them? Because I know they're smart and they recognize when you're being mom and when you're being therapist. <laughs> Well, that is, that is, it's a great, great question as well. And um, again, something we've been thinking lately. First of all, I think not just my kids, but every friend I have, even the friends who know that, you know, how deep I was into nursing, (laughs) even them think at times that they're being psychoanalyzed. Honestly, when I'm talking to people who I'm connected with in that manner, I cease to be a therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Not that I don't have these filters that could kind of assign um, a pathological description to what a child might be facing. I just look at them as my children. And Mm -hmm. I think I do it to such an extreme that, uh, or such an extent, which could be a good thing or no, um, to such an extent that I actually don't have any clinical answers in those moments. Perfect. I'm not seeking. What I'm seeking is my child. And if my child is upset, then I'm upset. And if, you know, and vice versa. And and I literally, I I often, and I want to just say this to the audience, people say this all the time. You're a nurse. You shouldn't get sick. You're a therapist. You should know that. You shouldn't cry because you're a therapist. And I'm like, well, so I'm a whole flesh and blood person. Mm -hmm. And having to have that perspective and seeing my children that way, it causes me to say, let you know, to step back, let them do what they need to do to emote. And I'm only answering from a, a, a maternal perspective. Now, if they ask me questions in reference to their friends or maybe something that um, they truly, it has nothing to do with um, our relationships being um, hindered or anything like that. They ask me questions. Of course, I will tell them, okay, this is what I think. But it's usually something very abstract or something having to do with a peer that they just want to have some feedback but I try my best Mm -hmm. and the mommy hat is old and tattered it's not (laughs) as sharp as the clinical hat and it's comfortable so I put the mommy hat on Mm -hmm. and I stay in that mode until Mm -hmm. you know such a time that I don't have to Yes. That answers your question. I hope it is. Yes, wonderful. So the pulse of the nation is very focused on mental health and the importance of it. And I just I'm curious if you could speak with me about mental health in the U.S. at this time, because I remember, you know, and I know, and most of my audience knows when we were growing up, we knew the person in the family who had issues. Mm -hmm. There were not resources and immediate attention 
to it at the time. We just kind of accepted that I'm just using Joe as an example. We just knew that Joe wasn't, and I'm doing air quotes, Joe wasn't right. Speak to me now how um, the media has placed such importance and focus on mental health at this time. And how has that catapulted your business to where it is today? Okay, so this this is of course it's a big and juicy topic right now, right? It's, yes. Um, you know, the mental health in America, um, it, it, it is in such a state that I feel like we're digging a hole to fill a hole constantly. Mm-hmm. Yet I'm not hopeless. I still have a tremendous amount of hope because in the process of of um, helping others to walk through the healing process, I'm I'm finding that there are people who are now saying. You know, oh man, I'm glad I got help. I want to help someone else. So we're discovering that they're going to be authentic people, um, providers, whether it's in um, a clinical setting or a trained layman setting where we're learning. To, we have language for what we're going through mm-hmm. and we're learning that we're not in vacuums. We do not operate in vacuums. Whatever we do, we affect our ecosystem and then the macro system, the, the communities and environments at large. I think advocating to prevent, uh, to provide preventative services is really important right now. The way that we um, are stage in, in mental health in our country right now, we're at a this service, especially in the black communities and in the communities where socioeconomic status are lower. We don't have adequate access mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to services. Mm-hmm. And today what I and and you know my organization wants we want to do is to create new language around mental health. So the way I look at mental health needs, I look at it as a hygienic need. Now you may have to go get your hair done because your roots are bad or you have a lot of gray, but you won't feel bad about it because you're like, at least I'm doing something about right, it. Right. Your nails may be coming off, your feet may be cracked, but you don't worry about it. You go do something about it because you know it's something that needs to be done. It's a part of your overall wellness. Mm-hmm. But if we transfer that into talking about our mental health needs, it's a hygienic need because mm-hmm. out of our, our mindsets and our thoughts and our emotions come forth all of our actions, right? Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't we want to take care of that and put it in the same significant light in that this is an essential part of me feeling good mm-hmm. and it's not a bad thing that I go forth and touch these wounds that I want to heal, my mental wounds, that is. Mm-hmm. So part of my quest, and, I, and I, I'm hoping I'm answering this question, is to um, sort of destigmatize mental health mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and and create conversations rather than just the complaints mm-hmm. that others have like you said we know uncle's ray ray is not right we right. know that this person got a little something something going on on this side right right, right. but destigmatizing that situation by informing ourselves daily and then teaching each other and not holding back resources from each other on a personal level, which mm-hmm. the resource might just be an air. It might just be like, let me go walk with you. And you're probably not going to say a word up to me, but you know I'm here. Right. So in our communities today, I think we are addressing the issues. I think that we're we're trying our best, those of us who can. But disproportionately, we're outnumbered um, for every, just just say the Lehigh Valley, every 20 um, persons of color, there's maybe one 
um, certified person of color to meet their needs. Okay. And okay. that's a whole nother topic. But that is a whole nother topic mm-hmm. to be um the connectedness. I know that our community community already struggles with mm-hmm. saying yes to therapy. And um I see everything on a new horizon. I am very positive with where mental health is going in this country because it it is the nation is crying for help. Mm -hmm. And I believe that you, my love, are one of those um, people who can answer the cry. And I'm very proud of you. I've always said that to you. I, 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 um, I met you at a time when you were just kind of discovering yourself and that's a con it's a consistent it, it never it never ends but when i first met you the journey from then to now has been amazing and i'm so proud of you and, and i wish for my audience who are in need of just someone to talk to um, reach out to Simone. I'm going to make a sharp left because I'm also proud of you because you re- you're you a recent um, pledge to the Delta <laughs> sorority. And I am, I know, I am so proud. I know so many Deltas and it's just an, a fantastic sorority for, for yeah. my listeners. Um, it's an organization whose focus is community service, education, and just flat out being the best person that you can be. So my question regarding becoming a recent um, Delta, what um, accomplishments do you wish to reach with your affiliation with the sorority because there are, I don't know what the numbers are for the Deltas, but I know there are a lot of women in the Deltas. And I just, I'm curious to know um, within the organization, will your focus be therapy? Well, within our organization, thank you for that. And shout out to all of my sorors <laughs> out there. Um, so, what I did this year um, as part of our programmatic thrusts and our program planning, I um, chaired the May week um, celebrations mm-hmm. for our sorority. And in so doing, addressing the, the programmatic thrust of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, part of that was looking at mental wellness. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, our, the activities that I uh, and my chapter members in SOARS everywhere else we collaborated on. It was having a guest speaker. You might have heard, um, I don't know if you were on the call, Sham Brown. Yes. Um, she led a discussion with the hidden costs of silence surrounding mental illness and the, the struggles that um, women of color have, um, not just here, but obviously globally. So mental illness, uh, mental wellness need is, is a primary focus of mine. And within the um, the organization of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, I would really, really um, like to be able to impact my community and, mm-hmm. and just advance to the national level where my voice, it's one of those voices on the front line. But at this time, I am just more than delighted to be in this stage where I can see the possibilities of lending my skill sets and my experiential and clinical knowledge to 
Delta Sigma Theta sorority incorporated as a whole globally. And there are 360,000 plus of us worldwide. We're everywhere you are. Thank you for that number because I wasn't sure of the number, (laughs) but I know there's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, we're here. We're here, right. I was, um, I'm just, like I said, I'm just so elated and I've been watching you over the last 20 years and just your growth has been an inspiration for me and so many others because because your presence is important my question my last almost last question is um where does the healers go to be healed what does Simone do to totally zone out and to replenish yourself because when you're in a profession um as such as you are there has to be your cup has to be refilled consistently and constantly so what does Simone do when she needs to refill her cup well I tell my clients all the time you know in um, I laugh at us therapists sometimes, right? Because we, we want to take care of everyone else and mm-hmm. then we're, we're crawling in the bed um, with our feet swollen and all of that. I have just recently, um, after all this time, because by nature, and again, not a topic for another time, by nature, I'm, I'm a people pleaser or I like to see things through to the end. And I want to make sure that I give every little bit because I came from a culture that said to give until it hurts. And mm-hmm. that's not what you have to do. You have to give until it helps. You're right. But so something simple as that, changing my thoughts so I can change my life. I, I say no a little bit more now, a lot a bit more, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I refuse to feel guilty anymore for what my hard work has allowed me to do. So if there's a day I do not want to go to work and I can rearrange things, I will do so. Today mm-hmm. I do that. Mm-hmm. I wish I had had that gumption a long time ago. But I try to put myself first. I meditate every day. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. I definitely start my day and end my day with something positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I read at least um, a book a month, and I every day I listen podcasts. It's constantly, constantly something is going that will feed me, that will give me something to hang on to um, at the end of each day. And start, I start every day by making my bed. I give myself a sense of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And it's something I learned from um, Admiral William McCraven when he gave his, uh, um, his uh, commencement speech at one University of Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I make my bed. I give myself something first in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then I set my intentions. And I travel quite a bit. So when I travel, um, unless I'm going to a family's home, um, and even sometimes then I don't want anyone to know anything about anything. I just want to sit there and just soak up what's going on mm-hmm, around me. I don't mm-hmm. want to answer any questions. Perfect. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a therapist. I'm going to go play in the sand. I'm eating the local food. Mm-hmm. I just take time for me that way. And I'm realistic with myself anymore because now when I'm tired, I really, I'm no good to anyone else. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I really take the time for myself. Wonderful, wonderful. I really appreciate your time and I'm always mindful of time. But what I would ask of you is if you could leave the audience with something, um, whether it be 
taking time for themselves or um, taking a walk or what would you say to the audience to encourage them to focus on the importance of their own personal space and mental health? Well, um, what I would say is, you know, guard your thoughts, guard your minds. We're asked to do so um, in so many different places, um, in literature, the Bible, all of that, to guard our minds Mm -hmm. and to surround ourselves with people who identify with our goals, not just our past and our past mistakes. Mm -hmm. Forgive quickly, forgive easily. Um, and, and set your intention, set your intention every day, mm-hmm. every day, set your intention, whatever it is that you want for yourself. Because even if you miss, you know, Les Brown has a saying, he says, it's better to aim high and miss than to aim low and hit every time. Even mm-hmm. if you miss being, you know, excellent and epic for the day, at least you could be great. Attempt at being great. Take mm-hmm. care of yourself first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And remember, no one is going to treat you better than you treat yourself. You cannot pour from an empty place and you can't heal wounds that you're not willing to touch. So if you want some relief, start looking at those wounds. Amen. I wrote down something that you said. You said there is a hidden cost to silence. And for my audience, um, the hidden cost Either you pay now or you pay later. later. So, mm-hmm. so I advise you guys to contact Simone. Can you tell our audience? I have phoenixrisingcs.com as a way for them to reach out to you. Yes. Is there a phone number or a website? I mean, that well, is the website. Is there a phone number that they can absolutely. call to schedule? Absolutely. Okay. We are our office number six one zero four four two seven one eight six. We're located right at um, thirty five East Elizabeth Avenue in Suite thirteen on the floor, uh, the first floor towards the rear of the building. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the beige building right there in the corner of Elizabeth and Chelsea. Um, you could also send us an email at Phoenix Rising L C S W at gmail.com and our website http um, I guess a semicolon forward slash forward slash www.phoenixisingcs as in charlie s as in sam dot com mm-hmm. and anytime you know reach out anytime day or night someone is always there to send at least a text message back because we keep our communication open 24 7 so 610 442 should be having some more advertisement coming out because a way to like um keep us visible because of some things coming up with comcast so look out for those mm-hmm. and we'll see you soon and i wish you all good mental health and go be great go be great and thank you simone so so much for your time yes, and your professionalism i appreciate you Guys, don't suffer in silence. Get help. Call Simone. She will explain to you the process. If you don't have insurance, she can work it out for you. Just the first step is picking up the phone or typing in the email and just reaching out. Just reach out. 
if not to her, to someone, if, if, if it's not a fit and that, that's another thing, Simone, that people say, oh, I didn't get along with my therapist. Then don't stop at that point. Find another exactly. one. Exactly. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Yes. It took me four tries before I did it and they don't have to, you know, sometimes you just need a little push. Sometimes someone puts the plant in the ground, the other person water it and the mm-hmm. other person prune mm-hmm. it and the other mm-hmm. person, you know, um, reap reap the harvest the point is it's a continuum and if you if you are so enamored with your therapist that and you're still in therapy three or four or five years that means that is a bad match in itself not that the person is bad obviously but it's it's in it's incongruent it's not compatible a match to have growth because when you are in a healthy space with your therapist your therapist you're always thinking what you're trying to work on as in that therapeutic relationship. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, but that's, again, another thing, just, we just have to, um, just step out there and try. You never know. People meet you where you are. Exactly. And it's a conversation about a mental hygienic needs. It's a con- it's a conversation about how we get well. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining joining Raining Words with Shelby. I cannot wait to share with the public everything that you have to say and share with them. It's very important to maintain a healthy uh, mental health status. So thank you so much, Simone, and we will talk to you soon. Yes, ma'am.